last cast, the last podcast you'll ever need to listen to. Um, thank you very much, Ferdinand, for, for joining us. I'm joined today with, uh, uh, by Ferdinand Luis. He's a professor at UCG, and uh, we talk about um, what do you think is most interesting currently. Um, so it would be great if we could just uh, directly delve in, and if you could tell me what, what is most interesting to you at the time, if we look at uh, what ideas fascinate you most. Um, well, currently, um, I'm working in the developing the, uh, um, an interest in the field of arts and healthcare. Uh, but to tell you what I'm doing now, I should probably give you a little background so you understand where I'm coming from. So um, my academic training, uh, my, my doctoral research and, and that work is in uh, urban and regional planning and urban design in particular. Uh, that and that work came out of my the first half of my life, um, which was uh, where I was trained and worked as an artist. So I, I have an arts background and also a planning background. Uh, the planning came out of my interest in community-based art making, which is to say how artists engage with communities, develop communities, participate in communities. And I did a lot of research and writing and work on that. And I had my own theater company for a number of years. Um, that's still going actually in the United States, although I'm not part of it. Um, and my doctoral research took me, uh, it lit an interest in me, uh, ignited a, a passion for understanding how places change, how things actually work and how they can actually change. Um, uh, and so public policy, public administration, very much became a part of my interest, and that's how I ended up in, in the planning field. Um, while uh, uh, I was on the faculty at the University of Florida, which is right before I came here to the Netherlands, <clears throat> I was uh, on the urban and regional planning faculty, um, and I, I taught and did research there. Um, and I was also an artist in residence in the arts and medicine program uh, at the university hospital uh, in florida um, i also was an affiliate of the center for arts and medicine which does research on uh, arts and uh, arts and healthcare field um, I, I did that for four years and uh, in many ways this was all of my interests uh, coming together um, so uh, I've long been a, um, uh, someone who volunteers in hospitals and other medical facilities just to help out, just because it's something I, I, I like to do. Um, it's how I was raised. Um, and then um, my work as an artist uh, and in literary arts and also as an actor, all of that came into it uh, uh, as well. And then uh, while I was at the hospital in Florida, I was also asked as part of my work uh, there to develop um, a community uh, arts program uh, that would engage the community in healthy artistic activity. It gets, sort of gets people out from behind their televisions and out in the world making stuff and using uh, 
in their imaginations. So that's what I was doing uh, up until I came here. Um, when I first arrived here, um, I was invited to participate in a, in a community arts uh, festival uh, down in Rotterdam, very well-known festival. And the, the director uh, is a faculty member at Utrecht and uh, I know him and, um, and I met a lot of people very quickly. Um, and it quickly became clear to me that in the Netherlands, uh, there is an interest in what I call arts and healthcare artists working at the bedside with patients and artists working with doctors and nurses and other hospital staff. You work with patients to um, increase their quality of life, essentially. While a patient's stuck in the hospital, they, they are creative and using their imagination in a way that is, I wouldn't say it's not a treatment, but it's wholesome, it's healing. And then working with doctors and nurses uh, on creative arts um, as a way to uh, prevent burnout uh, and generally to increase quality of life. So I was telling people at this festival in Rotterdam and also in a lecture I gave uh, at Utrecht when I first got here <clears throat> about this work that I was doing in Florida. And a lot of people were interested but there was not a lot of it going on in Dutch hospitals. A little bit here and there, but not a lot. And the hospitals weren't connected to the artists. The artists weren't connected to the funders. Nobody knew anybody. And so I proposed um, that what if there were a kind of an alliance or a network that connected hospitals, artists, funders, educators throughout the Netherlands to promote and advocate for the arts and healthcare field. And I, I did that in a lecture, just sort of to have to engage students in something that would be interesting. And I, I asked this group of students to participate with me in a kind of workshop where we developed a plan for such an alliance. Um, at the end of that, um, people sort of followed me all the way out into the parking lot, uh, sort of giving me their contact information and saying, we have to pursue this, we have to pursue this. And indeed I did pursue it, but it, it has taken a long time to meet and everyone and get all the pieces in place. But what has turned out to be the case is that here in Groningen, there is this kind of intense interest in the arts and healthcare field. There's a lot of interest in artists being in hospitals and other clinical facilities, elderly care homes, uh, treatment facilities, uh, recovery centers, all sorts of facilities. Having artists professionally in those facilities, working with patients on simply making stuff, visual arts, music, dance, poetry, creative writing, um, and also working with staff in a way that promotes well-being and health. Um, so uh, uh, let me just stop you for a second. Um, are we, uh, are you following me so far? Do you have a sense of what the arts and healthcare field is that I, do you have a sense of what I do? Yeah, sort of. It's just, um, I'm thinking about the 
the correlation sort of um, like is the art then sort of meant to help the treatment of the of the patient also in a more spiritual way then is that the, the purpose what a, what, a, what a nice question um, so there's something called um, art therapy and this is in angles I don't know the Netherlands term for it but there's art therapy where a doctor says um, this patient is suffering from I don't know a depression and so we send an art therapist in to do painting and the what that therapist is going to do is a kind of treatment for that patient's condition whatever it is that's not what we do what we do is make ourselves available to any patient who's interested in being creative while they're stuck in the hospital and this can um, we we work with patients at any level from absolute beginner to professionals is it spiritual? I wouldn't say that's that's not the word I would use, but it is emotional, psychological, spiritual in the sense that, I mean, if you would say the arts are spiritual, okay, sure. Um, what happens is the, this. When uh, a patient is being creative, they are touching the part of themselves that is still well. When a patient is being creative and exercising their imagination, they're in touch with the part of themselves that is whole and healthy. That's what it's about. It always has an effect, but the effect is not predictable. And therefore, what we do isn't therapy. It isn't an intervention. Doctors don't write a prescription for it. But medical staff understand how this work makes the quality of life of the patient better. And that in turn decreases the amount of time it takes for a patient to get healthy. Uh, it decreases uh, burnouts uh, amongst doctors and nurses and on and on like that. So the, pa <clears throat> so the patient can then sort of escape the suffering of the disease that that's the sort of way uh, you should look at it again what another uh, what another good question um escape isn't exactly the word i mean i see exactly where you're coming from and yes you're right there is an escape uh and when um when someone is in pain let's say uh, a burn victim is having their bandages changed that is a particularly excruciating process. And I can recall um, a colleague of mine who plays uh, ukulele for patients. This is in Florida. Um, and she was teaching this uh, boy who was having his bandages changed. She was teaching him to play ukulele, essentially just with one hand. But while he was having the bandages changed, which was an excruciating, painful process, he was focused on something else. So in that sense, yes, it is an escape to a, you know, a desert island away from the pain. But another way to look at it is this. It is a way of inhabiting your actual experience. This is what happens when we make any art, if you make art today. 
right? You are inhabiting your own life in a very particular way. You're looking at things through your imagination and through your creativity, right? And so a patient who's stuck in a hospital, let's say you're in a hospital waiting for a liver transplant. You're going to be there for, let's say, a month, a month and a half, who knows, six months, a year. And in that time, you don't have your own clothes. You, uh, you don't have your own, um, you don't uh, have control of when people turn the lights on and off. And the doctors and nurses do that. People come and take your blood, your urine, your, uh, they take your temperature. People interrupt you anytime they want. You have no control of, over your life while you're in the hospital, right? This is partly why people just get freaked out when they're in hospitals, right? It's just, it can be so bad for you. So as an artist, and, and what I do is literary arts at the bedside, so I would walk in and say, you know, hey, I do creative writing. Uh, have you ever considered, I don't know, writing a story or a poem? Or uh, would you like me to read to you? I'm happy to read to you, whatever you want. Um, that kind of thing. A person can say, no, I don't really want that. And I'm the only person they say no to while they're at the hospital. Everybody else they have to say yes to. We're going to take your blood. Okay. We're going to take your clothes. Okay. We can throw people out of your room, your visitors. Okay. And I say, would you like me to read a book to you? And they say, no. Great. I've empowered them. Right. Now, if they say yes, right, that 20 minutes, 30 minutes, hour that I spend with that person, that is their time. And not only is it their time, they get to shape their experience through their imagination and creativity. And you guys are, you work on projects, your students, you know all about creative problem solving, that space that you have to get into in your mind and in your heart, where you, you look at things in a creative way and you see things differently. So in a sense, yes, it is about escaping pain, escaping to a desert island. But in another sense, it's about really being there. And we use the term humanizing healthcare. So we refer to the arts and healthcare field as humanizing healthcare. That's what it does. So much of healthcare, it's not that it's dehumanizing necessarily, but there's nothing humanizing about people walking in saying, hey, we got to take your blood again. Oh, we're hooking you up to machines. You know, I don't know if you've ever been in the hospital for a while, but generally nurses and doctors, they out of habit refer to you by your illness. Oh, we've got this uh, appendectomy in, in room 1403. You know, you don't even have a name. So this is a way to humanize and to individualize and to make you a person again. Am I making sense? That's really amazing. Yeah, you're making very much sense. Um, I'm also thinking that in general, I think the problem in in hospital, in hospitals in general, is that um, you you are not in the present at all because the goal is to treat that disease, and you're suffering so much because you the only place of uh, the only reason you have at that moment is you're like stripped of your identity, and your only the only reason you're there is to treat that 
that illness and you just hope that that happens somewhere in the future and it gets just worse if you have all that pain and i think the way you describe it eyes can can give the can give much much more aid to that person even like the goal doesn't have to be that it's to treat the illness but just to make the person feel better in the moment and that the person also stays in the moment and it's not fixated on uh, a month in the future where hopefully the disease eases a bit that's a super that's a that's a really good point Philman. um yes yes the future uh is a different kind of desert island and it's uh it's definitely a it can be an awful place to be um um because patients don't know necessarily what's going to happen you you live in a condition of not knowing what's next and what the future might bring and that is a, a terrible place to be um I mean, some people are only in the hospital for half a day, you know, and other people are there for, you know, in the case of, say, a children's cancer unit, they may be there for their whole lives, literally, you know, uh, assuming they, they die young. Um, it's uh, the role of the arts um, is facilitating a kind of quality of life that nothing or very little else in the hospital experience does. I, I can tell you actually of the, something else that does bring it, which is when doctors and nurses give a damn, right? Those nurse, I don't know if you know any nurses and doctors, uh, but I mean, when they care, um, and I, I mean, most of the nurses I've met and interviewed in my life and worked with, they got into it they didn't get into it for the money, you know what I mean? They do it because they care, and especially in a field like, for example, oncology, cancer treatment, and, and working with children, let's say, in cancer treatment. Who goes into that, you know, where most of your patients are at risk of death or, or almost certainly will die at some point? Who goes into that? And I did a project once where I developed a, a, a short play uh, that was drawn from interviews that uh, I did with uh, nurses, uh, um, oncology, cancer nurses at our hospital. And every single one of them went into that field for the simple reason that they care. They just want to care. These kids need us. We have to care. I, they need me. I can do it, so I should do it. It's that simple. It's the most beautiful thing. Um, people like that are my heroes. I, I'm not that person. I'm not that, I, I don't have that kind of strength. Um, but people like that amaze me. And the work uh, that I was doing when I worked in the bedside and all my work in advocating for arts and healthcare, which is what I'm doing now and trying to do now in the Netherlands, um, that is, in a sense, supporting that care. It's not replacing it. It's supporting it. When uh, hospitals, when doctors and nurses are trying to give compassionate care to patients, um, bringing the art into that experience, bringing the arts into that experience is a way of um, expanding that experience for the patients and um, and uh, increasing 
the quality of that experience in a positive way. Do you also look at them? One, my memories of, uh, of the hospitals aren't the greatest, um, mainly because there's, as you also say, there's this creative aspect of life missing also in the design aspect that everything has kind of its direct utility but in that it's lacking the what we would consider joy like uh, the hospitals that i personally experienced there aren't uh, paintings or there aren't uh, there's music played everything just has a purpose so do you also look on that uh, at that and say that's definitely something that i would like to change so design is uh, a part of uh, the role of arts and healthcare. I would under arts, I would include design, and design would uh, include uh, materials, actual design of the space, the materials used, uh, 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 whether or not there's art on the wall, but also furniture. Um, there are they call them healing environments. Um, you know, uh, sort of creative gardens and uh, meditation spaces, things like that are very obviously focused on, um, you know, healing, on, on creating well-being. But other spaces, um, the lobby of a hospital, for example, um, or I have lots of photographs of this sort of thing, um, Waiting rooms, you know, lots of times in hospitals, people are just waiting. And if you have a patient who's a loved one of yours and you're just sort of, while they're in surgery, let's say they're in surgery for eight hours, you're just waiting. And you're sitting in this enormous waiting room, sort of, I don't know, doing nothing. You know, there's a television on in the background, that sort of thing. But there are spaces, uh, Tillman, where... Um, I mean, it's like being in a, there are growing things. You feel a sense of privacy and, but, and yet connection to the environment. It's wholesome. The light is good. You feel like you're outside rather than trapped under fluorescent lights. So I would call that just good design, you know, a space that makes you feel good. And that's very much a part of arts and healthcare, the design of the space as well as, you know, arts activities, but the design of the space is definitely a part of it. Is, is that what you meant? Yes, definitely. You painted a beautiful, beautiful image in my head of what it can actually look like. <laughs> it's amazing. But we all have an image of what it, when it looks horrible, right? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it doesn't work. Were you in the hospital? Were you a patient? I, uh, I was in, in a few hospitals in Germany and it was always, it was the, the complete opposite of what you just described was <laughs> just trapped by fluorescent lights during the night as well sometimes. And there was no, no images, no, you just felt trapped. And just the only purpose was, uh, just resolve you of what you have right now, what you came into. And there was no folk, like no meditation places, no nature, nothing. Unfortunately, that's how most of it looks. Um, you know, we have a beautiful hospital, the UMCG, uh, uh, the UMCG hospital here is just a beautiful place. And Martini Seekenhaus 
as well. There's a lot of attention to design in these places. And yeah. it really helps. It makes a huge difference. Um, once you get up into the actual units where the patients are, it can be a little different. It's more fluorescent lights, you know, work light. Um, so when UCG did a project at the hospital um, three years ago, and we worked in um, geriatric internal medicine. Um, and they had like some old faded posters on the wall and stuff. You know what I mean? Like some pictures of some flowers and I don't know, some faded Dutch landscape posters and stuff. Um, and what we did was uh, we, we did a project where the students worked with the staff to develop a series of 14 photographs um, of the hands of the staff members, the actual staff members, uh, doing what they do, the work, you know, doing what people do with their hands all day long. And the show was called Helping Hands. Uh, everything from just putting on a rubber glove to, you know, intricate things that doctors and nurses do uh, around a hospital. And um, we had those, you know, professional level quality, really high quality photographs. And uh, we had them uh, uh, professionally printed and framed. And uh, we did a gallery show at the hospital um, to which the entire community uh, of the hospital was invited. Um, the head of, uh, um, of the med school spoke. It was a, it was a beautiful, um, it was a beautiful event. And it was something that the staff had made that in a sense told their story. Um, they were very proud of it. And uh, it, was, it was very touching, the, the, the kind of passion they put into it and the, and the commitment. And those photographs are now displayed there under part of the permanent collection of, uh, of the UMCG, of the University Hospital. Um, so I'm very proud of the work of uh, that the UCG students did there. And there's another UCG project now uh, focused on uh, the hospital, a uh, second year project. That's amazing. So in and of itself, I think, are your idea, like, it's amazing, as I said, the, the image that you, that you painted in my head. Um, and now looking five years into the future, that you said you have this, like, five-year project, um, what do you see your role being in that? Do you see it as being the ambassador for change that the arts need to be more involved in, uh, in the healthcare system? Or do you see it more in the, in the research aspect, understanding what really is most beneficial, um, what kind of activities and to what extent? Um, we have been uh, offered funding from uh, National Programma Groningen uh, um, to support a five-year project. It's really more like six years, but we call it a five-year project um, to advocate for the arts and healthcare field, specifically in Groningen, here in the north. Um, and that includes three pillars, if you will. Um, that is, uh, research is certainly part of it. So research on what happens when the arts uh, are in a healthcare environments. So what it does, how it works, if it works. 
So research and supporting research, advocating for research, but also education. So let's say artists want to learn how to do this. Working in your studio is very different thing than working at a hospital bed, you know, or working with staff in their lunch hour. You know, these are very different practices and you have to learn, be taught how to do that. So we're going to advocate for education as well. And then we want to advocate for practice. So hospitals, um, uh, elderly care facility, any type of healthcare facility, anything that is interested in having an arts program, we want to help them in terms of policy, in terms of strategy, the legal frameworks, how to hire people, pay people, how to actually bring professional artists who are trained to do this work into their environments in a, in a sustainable and successful way. So education, research, and practice are the three things that we advocate for. And I, we don't yet have a name for the organization. Essentially, we're referring to it as the Alliance for Arts and Healthcare. Um, and it's, it's, it's an advocacy organization, I would call it. So advocating is what we do. Um, the, the task is um, we're, we're not, it's, it won't be until July of, of this year, 2021, um, that we're definitely going forward. It's sort of 90% sure that we're going forward, but uh, in July we will uh, actually uh, determine exactly what the mission is going to be uh, who's involved and that sort of thing. Yeah. So, so first of all, like, I think this is a really, really, really interesting topic. Like this is, I feel like a really underrated aspect of a lot of, uh, institutions in general, not, maybe not even only medical or healthcare, but I also see, for example, uh, like in political philosophy, we talked about, uh, prisoners and, also about punishment there and i also see for example there like those kind of institutions they they i, th I feel like art uh, and stuff can also be beneficial there to a certain extent right because in hospitals i feel like the art is a sort of um um reaction to the very utilitarian way it is organized which it should be because you want to treat the patients the best as possible and the most efficient as possible but it's it can feel like you enter this dimension of like all the levels of okay these patients are uh, on palliative treatment and these are um, like the easy treatments on different levels and on different buildings and it's all organized that way and this feels like a sort of response uh, to the to the individual patient there which i feel like can really help make a change uh, in the aspects yeah, I think you have a very clear understanding. Uh, and what I hear you doing is connecting, you know, at the, and I mean this in the best possible way, you're, you're connecting practice at, with the theoretical framework that, uh, that is the rationale for it. Um, and I think that's very much the way I go at it. This is a, a, a moral philosophical issue. And, and uh, we deal with that in the sense that, well, I'll give you an example. So in a very practical way, we deal with the theory uh, of why arts and healthcare might be a good idea. 
in, in, for example, in terms of policy. Hospital policy always has to take into account uh, things like efficiency. So wherever there's government funding for a major institution, like a hospital, um, that institution has to be efficient. They have to report back, okay, we spent the taxpayers' money in a, in a, as we said we would, and in an efficient way, we didn't waste any of it. But at what point does the hospital's efficiency become less than human in its treatment of patients, right? And there's constant discussion and invest, you know, hospitals work on these questions all the time. That this is part of their regular ongoing ethics kind of inquiry, right? Um, figuring out where the place where we come into that is where the question of well-being is important. So there's there's getting rid of the disease, you know, uh, this person has a disease, they're in the hospital, we're going to give them a few shots, and then we're going to send them home. But then there's medicine that thinks of the person, the whole person, and their well-being. And when you consider a person's, an individual's well-being, you take into account things like imagination. Right? You start to think, okay, when this person gets home, what sort of life do they have that will continue to support their healing, their well-being, and a good life going forward? And isn't that the role of medicine? So there, we've connected, in a sense, that's sort of how I connect um, the moral philosophical level and the practice level uh, of arts and healthcare. I don't know if I'm making sense there. So it's sort of more of a initiating like a paradigm shift to see that medicine is not only uh, like, well, the, the physical treatment, the medicines itself, but also there's more to that, like the more mental uh, treatment then that can add uh, or that can be added by arts, for example. Mental, emotional, yeah, whatever you want to call all of that. Yeah, all of that together. Um, initiating a paradigm shift, I, I don't, I, I would say it's my... Too big. I mean, it's maybe too big of a phrase. But... My, my ambitions are a little more humble than that. But, uh, you know, shifts do occur. Uh, you're in one now in the Netherlands, for example, in much of Europe. Um, in, in thinking about healthcare, the term is now values, values-based medicine is the term people are using. Um, a few years back, uh, the term uh, evidence-based healthcare was uh, popular. So these terms become popular. Um, they are ways to think about what healthcare should be for, how it should be funded, what sorts of outcomes, how should uh, people be trained for it, all of that. Right? That's on the good side. On the negative side, um, an approach like values-based healthcare, which is a, a kind of, if you will, paradigm shift, if you will, uh, in healthcare in the Netherlands, it's also could be seen as a way to focus on efficiency and pushing the care of the patient onto the patient rather than keeping it in the hands of healthcare workers. Now, that's one way to look at it. That's not the only way to look at it. But 
there's it's a whole range of issues there and they're all ethical issues they're very much about how does our society take care of itself right what does care mean in a public sense um, and those are those are moral philosophical issues they just are but they play out in practical terms when we think about hospital policy and part of what advocating for arts and healthcare means is thinking inside those paradigms. So I, we see things shifting in the field and we have to respond to it and work within the, within the constraints we're given. We have to enter the ethical conversation using the terms that people are using. Yes, I think even in that context, it might be that currently the the focus is on on utility, how quick like everything has to be efficient. Yet then you can um, take that understanding that you have from the arts and maybe with the research prove that it makes it more more efficient actually. So for example, I uh, read somewhere that patients who have a win window view on on nature on on a tree for example have much higher um have, have a much higher increase of uh, of getting healthy again regardless of the of the medical treatment of itself so that's that's super fascinating because then you see well maybe it's not the most efficient way and to just give you that one pill that is supposed to treat that one um say cancer cell but maybe it's better to to take like an holistic approach where you incorporate all different aspects of being human and at the same time it's being more efficient and the person is staying less in in the hospital staying spending less time in the hospital i i seem to be in the company of arts and healthcare advocates i i didn't realize that would be the case so um very 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 nice to meet you tillman <laughs> um, uh, um, both of you. Um, yes, I would say, yes, research can support the uh, what I would call that is effectiveness. So if I may step out and just be teacher man for a moment and challenge you, push back a little bit on that, Tillman. So what you did there was draw in research to demonstrate the efficiency of arts and healthcare practice of this particular practice. Um, probably a, a more impactful way to do that, um, because I know you enjoy philosophy, both of you, uh, is to question what you mean by efficiency. So it's really easy to get drawn into an argument about efficiency. That's not efficient. This is efficient. Wait a minute. That's wait a minute now, hold on, when we say efficient, what exactly do we mean, right? Very fundamental question. What do we mean by efficient? Defining efficiency is really the way to decide what windows should, you know, whether or not a patient needs a window in a way that affects everything. Do you see? If efficiency is defined as maximizing the well-being of the patient. 
you have one sort of approach that makes room for things like imagination, for contact with their family, for being able to wear their own clothes when they're all, you know, all sorts of things, right? But if you define efficiency as satisfaction, which is how most public agencies define it, are people happy with it? Okay, right? And how do we know they're happy with it? Well, they use it. Oh, well, if they use it, then they're happy with it. Okay, so we're done. That is literally how utility is measured by public agencies, right? So it's really, you have to really push and find people willing to think outside the box, to think in a little more broader sense about what efficiency is. It's public money you're spending, so you have to be efficient, but you can think about what you mean by efficient and humanize that. When you focus on well-being, it opens things up in a way that allows for that patient to have a window, uh, for example. And I have seen some amazing windows in my career that really do change how people recover. It is amazing. But that isn't to say, well, so what we need is for every room, we need a window. Well, no, that isn't what we're saying. That might be the efficient thing, but that's not what we mean, right? We need to think a little more broadly about that. Okay, I'm out of teacher mode now. <laughs> Sorry. I miss you guys. Haven't seen any. Haven't seen any of you in so long. Yeah, it's been yeah like a really long time since we uh, had some physical and also ECMS. That was also a really long time ago. Actually. Yeah, so long ago. It wasn't, but it feels that way. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, I'm trying to, to put this into into perspective. Uh, it's uh, sure. interesting, very interesting point. It's a new field. Um, not, it's a new, music has always been a part of healing as long as there has been music, you know, the ancient Greeks. Um, but uh, formal medicine, in formal modern medicine, uh, has been focused on treatment and the strictest um, definition of efficiency as satisfaction, uh, you know, for a couple hundred years here. And um, efforts to think about the whole patient, the whole person, and medicine for the whole person, rather than just for the disease. So thinking of the person as a system live, who lives in a system, right? That brings in the question of, you know, what makes life worth living? And here we come to the imagination. And so essentially you see this field of arts and healthcare as a formal field. It emerges in England after the war with the national health. And uh, in the English language, um, the UK is the, all the research and practice, most of it in the world, in the English speaking world happens right there, followed by the United States. Um, and then it's an emerging field in Europe. Uh, there's been a lot of research in the Netherlands, but practice 
very little. Uh, there's an active program in Leiden, uh, and then just scattered programs here and there. Our efforts are to connect, are going to be to connect all of those efforts so that people can share resources and opportunities and uh, as many people as possible can get whatever benefits are available from from this i guess and also in in truly understanding the problem one way to go about it is um, to find a solution is understanding its historical perspective right and it would be really interesting to to analyze, I guess, how how we happen to end up in the way that is currently um, understood healthcare, and in what way healthcare is not seen as the same thing as, uh, or as part of at least as doing arts, because I I would imagine that um, our ancestors in our early days, um, if we had an illness, obviously there was a huge lack of knowledge, but treating the illness was in, in cooperation with rituals and and in, in that sense was most more incorporated with kind of what what people might consider as as what art tries to solve mm. so in what way do you think why why did we end up right now in uh in this scenario where we have a hospital with fluorescent excess light and we treat the disease, but we don't treat the person. Um, have you, I can't remember if you guys have history of science in your first year. No, no, that's second year. So the, your history of science course, which I think is with Simon will answer that question. Um, so, um, the scientific method, right? So we have here, we have 400 years of, uh, creating a subject-object relationship between the physician and the disease. Um, and you can also look at the social role of, um, of, of medicine uh, in uh, post-structuralist philosophers. Uh, um, uh, so you can, you can look at it from a, a purely scientific perspective uh, in the sense of clinical science also from a social perspective, there are all sorts of reasons why it has been beneficial to approach medicine the way we have, um, and lots of explanations for it. The effect uh, in the end, though, uh, I think most people would agree, is that uh, while we have made remarkable advances in what, you know, proton therapy, I mean, my God, you know, there's just extraordinary things that can be done now. Um, and, but at the same time, the system in which we do them, everybody kind of knows, you know what, there's something wrong here. We've, we've got to, we've got to this, we're not doing this in a way that's completely workable. And I don't mean more or less efficient or, um, you know, it, it's something broader than that. Is this how we want to have medical treatment in our lives? There's, there's none of us, right? There's three of us in this conversation, and however many people listen to your podcast, everyone at some point 
will very likely have some sort of medical treatment and many of us very serious medical treatment. Uh, and so the issue is, 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 is right there, you know, um, historically science is science, you know, it's, uh, it does what it does better than non-sciences. And if you're not a scientist, well, what are you doing in medicine? That's the traditional approach, you know, right? Don't be coming around here with your art, burning incense and stuff. You know what I mean? Let's get down to work. Let's treat this. Let's cut it out. Let's give it an injection. You know, it's a pandemic. Shoot it full of something. Um, well, there's a lots of effects of, for example, pandemics. Yes, it's a virus, but man, there's lots of effects beyond just what that little virus causes. The, the effects are on every level of society and everyone on the planet feels it. That's the realm we operate in, a broader perspective. Um, so historical, yeah, I think that's an important way to approach it. Uh, it's important to keep in mind. And, you know, history is something that we're changing all the time. Um, uh, so keep it in mind, but where medicine fits in the picture of a good life, uh, what defines what we mean by healthcare? Where does medicine fit in all of this? Where does treatment fit in all of this? What so that tells us what healthcare should be in our lives. And I and people in this field around the world uh, believe that healthcare should consider the whole person's treatment and not simply, you know, cutting it out or injecting it with something, although that is important too, but that's not the whole picture. And what also what the good life is about, right? So true. Yeah. What, what, what are you thinking? <laughs> tell me, tell me what you mean. So it's not only necessarily like, maybe it's a, a representation in healthcare that um, the focus on medicine is to sustain life, but not necessarily to increase quality of life, right? And that might be a system of the way we currently as a society understand um, what a good life is about, right? Yep. Uh, I would say also, I mean, I would also say, Tillman, and you did it again. Um, you made an assumption about how we define a good life. When you enter into value ethics, right? This area of philosophy, I'm not a philosopher, but when, you, when you're talking about value ethics, uh, you, you have to be very clear about the terms that everybody in the conversation is using. That's the first place, because there are so many terms like well-being, efficiency, we throw them out there And everyone goes, oh, yes, we all know what that means. No, we don't. Those are the things that we fight about all the time. We don't use the terms. But, you know, when an insurance company gets the bill for the treatment for, uh, you know, acupuncture, let's say you've had an acupuncture treatment and it costs 200 euros and the bill goes to your insurance company and the insurance company says, well, okay, we're supposed to pay this if it's an effective treatment. 
But the research says acupuncture is, you know, effective, but nobody knows why. So I'm not, I don't, I don't really think we should pay that. So Tillman, here's your bill again, because we're not paying it. So that's, I'm trying to make it concrete. That's a definition of, like, you know, efficiency, for example. No, no, the efficient thing is for you to go get a shot for your headache, not to get acupuncture for it, right? But your doctor might say, you know what? We've tried other things. Uh, really, I think what you need to do is just try this treatment. It may work, it may not. I think for you, it could be a good thing to try. I, I kind of feel like doctors ought to be able to do that, you know? Or if a nurse says, you know what this patient needs is not another therapy, but to be out in the sunshine. Well, you know, maybe that's the thing to do. That's quite a pause. Yeah, <laughs> again, trying to digest. Um, I'm thinking about uh, triage, for example, when they often use the, the quality or the quality adjusted life years. It feels kind of similar to uh, to this discussion as well, because then uh, there's this equation that they sort of simplify the well-being into this equation where they give you a survey and you answer all these questions about your well-being and that gives you a value of your quality of life at that moment. And then I feel like, uh, for example, there they, they covered a, a couple of dimensions that are, of course, about well-being. <clears throat> but in here, I think then you would say that this the dimension of mental well-being and emotion, emotional well-being is then not in there yet. And we just need the empirical evidence to show that that is also beneficial. So probably, yeah, would you then say that some more empirical research, for example, to show that it's actually beneficial would maybe push that change also from the, uh, yeah, the perspective we're looking now, the more utilitarianistic approach. Because I feel like that's missing now. The, the, the reason why that's not really that we not look at that is that because we don't have enough real evidence in the, in the sort of, let's say, quality, quality uh, equation in this case. Um, maybe. I mean, we're, yes, and yes, and maybe. Um, uh, evidence, you use yeah, the phrase evidence, enough it? evidence, right? We don't have enough evidence. No, no, no. What, what is enough? How, how will we know when it's enough? Uh, at what point can we say with absolute certainty that that vaccine will always work forever? We got it. No problem. It's all done. Well, we can't. We're going to just take a stab at it. You know, and we're not talking about killing a virus. We're talking about well-being, a good life, a life that you feel is worth living, and not just fixing the disease or, you know, okay, I can walk now uh, because of the surgery, but I just don't want to live because my life is so crummy because, you know, the rest of my health is, is, so, is so bad, let's say. Um, uh, this is all part of one picture, right? So there's no research that's going to quote unquote prove that, that the imagination and creativity are a treatment, but that we should think in terms of 
well-being, yeah, sure. So let's say, for example, someone wanted to advocate for gardening, not arts, but gardening, uh, gardening in healthcare. And this person goes around to hospitals in the Netherlands promoting gardening for staff and for patients at the bedside or out in the yard or whatever. Fine. It, that, that is, in a sense, the same thing. If it's asking people to reach the part of themselves that is still well, the part of themselves that's still healthy, even though they're in, they're, they're sick and they're in these terrible circumstances, to be in touch with the part of themselves that is hopeful, healthy, moving forward, inhabiting their lives, inhabiting their bodies, despite whatever else is going on with them. It could be the arts, it could be all sorts of things, but ultimately it's about the whole person's well-being, about the good life. And I hope I'm responding to, to what you were saying there. Yeah, I feel like this is uh, this is also sort of a nice conclusion. Like in the end, it is how we define well-being is the essence of this uh, conversation. And uh, yeah, it was truly very interesting so far. It really it really changes your perspective. Don't know if you have anything to add, uh, Tilman. No, it, it was amazing, Ferdinand. It was really really yeah. fascinating for me as well. Just to to listen to you speak. And I think you have just the artistic talent to make it just sound super nice. Super fascinating. Thank you guys. Did you get Last cast. Think differently.